Book Riot's annual challenge is back. Once again, Read Harder 2020 has 24 tasks designed to help you break out of your reading bubble and expand your worldview through books. With new genres, new authors, and new points of view, the challenge will hopefully help you discover amazing new books that you wouldn't have picked up. Read historical fiction that's not about World War II, a retelling, or a classic fairy tale, horror from indie presses, and more in this year's challenge. Go to bookriot.com slash readharder to get the full challenge task list and to check out the prizing for those who compete and complete the challenge with a bonus prize this year. Welcome to Hey YA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, from new stories to the latest of on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a Book Riot podcast hosted by Kelly Jensen and me, Eric Smith. We are recording on Wednesday, March 10th, and Kelly's not here! Kelly's not here. It's a... It's, I guess, is it, is it a party? What, what, what happens when Kelly's not here? I don't know. Uh, so she's out of the office today, and I'm joined by Book Riot's own Terza Price. Uh, hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Can you, can you tell our listeners a little bit about you? Sure thing. So I am a contributing editor at Book Riot. I do a lot of the YA coverage on the website, and I also write our Read This Book newsletter, and I'm also on our podcasts, um, All the Books and the Read Harder podcast, um, which is for insiders only. So I'm a little bit all over the place over at Book Riot, <laughs> and I'm also a YA author as well. So that's what I do. Oh my goodness, you are busy. You are busy. Very much so. So, oh boy. So I had <laughs> I had a lot of traveling to do lately, which like considering everything that's going on in the world isn't actually the best. Um, but I did manage to get a lot of reading for fun done during my my jet setting. Um in the last episode, I talked a bit about finally reading Damsel by Alana K. Arnold. Um have you read this one? You know what? I just downloaded the audiobook and Ooh. I'm super excited to read it, but I haven't read it yet. And but um, I also have her newest one from the library. But again, haven't read it. But I love w- what girls are made of. And yes. that's the title. Yeah, that was fantastic. I bet the audiobook must be awesome. Is it a I don't know if you got to see is it like a is it like a cast one? I, I it has to be. I for damsel I would have to look it up. I can pull it up on my phone, actually, because <laughs> I totally downloaded it, um, and I was super excited to start it. No, it's only one narrator, Elizabeth Nolden. Oh, okay. Well, I bet it's going to be awesome, because um, like, I finally wrangled up a paperback of it. With has, it has like the big old shiny print sticker on the front, and uh, like I'm so mad at myself for not reading this one sooner. I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, so- You're just busy. <laughs> I'm just busy, you know, life is busy, um, but it shouldn't be too busy for books like this one. Um, so Damsel's about a princess who can't quite remember how she was rescued uh, by this prince who claims he slayed this dragon to save her, uh, and she starts to piece it all together. Uh, she kind of discovers the fairy tale isn't quite what he's made it up to be, um, and the prose is just like, ugh. You ever just, like, want to bite a book? Because, like, <laughs> it's, like, so poetic and lush and delicious. Um, there, It's just full of all these dark twists that make it a book that's kind of hard to even talk about without ruining it for everybody. 
Um, if readers like Anna Marie McElmore's books, uh, they just went on tour together, actually. I feel like this is like a slam dunk in terms of uh, comparable titles uh, for our readers. Um, I also just treated myself to a copy of Laura Dean Keeps Breaking Up With Me. Um, there's this great local comic book store near my office called Brave New Worlds, and they had it like facing forward on display. And I was just like, you know what? Everyone keeps talking about this book. Why haven't I read it yet? Um, and I'm only like halfway through this one because everyone's been telling me to read it. And usually when I sit down and read a graphic novel, I just like inhale it in like one go. Um, I feel like there's such an easy medium for just like devouring really quickly. But this one, and, and I feel like some of my, my friends who are graphic novelists are going to hear this and get really mad at me for saying that. But like this book just like, it just makes you sit down and take your sweet time reading it. Um, it's a story of first love. Yeah, it's a first love lost and found and lost and found and lost and found. Uh, and it's just, ah, it's just so great to read a story that feels like, like a really quiet story, but also really big and intense at the same time. Um, like the feelings are just, they're just all over the page. Uh, and I, I never got frustrated with Freddie while I've been reading it, who keeps chasing after Laura because it's like, it's still relatable, you know, loving someone who is so wildly wrong for you and still going after them. Um, I don't know. I'm only halfway through, so maybe things change. Uh, but uh, I just love it so much. Is this one that you've, you've picked up by any chance? Yes. I love that book. I, yeah, I think that I had a lot of similar reactions that you have where my tendency is also to just kind of race through um, graphic novels. I like picking them up because I know sometimes I can read them in a single setting and it, just having that satisfaction of like, oh, I finished a book today. Yeah. Um, but with this one, because the art is so detailed and there's so much nuance in each panel that, yeah, I, I actually read this one twice because I loved it <laughs> so much. Um, and I was like so pleased to see that it also got a print snod. It was great. Yeah, I, maybe I should just start doing that. Just start picking up all the Prince books that I, I slept on for whatever reason. Um, I know this this agent slash writer friend of mine, Eric Hayen, last year he read like all the Penn Faulkner nominees uh, and it actually made him really miserable. He, he hated the experience. Um, but I don't know. I feel like I, would, I like all the books that get nominated for, for Kid Lit Awards. Um, They're solid. Yeah, that might be a thing. Maybe that's a podcast. Just like oh. reading reading all the Prince nominees. The name of the podcast yes. is Someday My Prince Will Come. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to email Rebecca at Book Riot and pitch this later. Uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> yes, I want in. Let me in on this. <laughs> Uh, oh goodness. And what else? What else? Um, oh, and I started reading the oral, or, ah, the Oracle Code by Mariki Nitschkamp. Um, this one just came out, uh, today, the day that we're recording. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's Nitschkamp's, uh, comics debut. Um, everyone who listens here knows that we, we love Mariki's novel so much. Uh, This Is How It Ends is amazing. Before I Let Go is just another devastating book. Um, and I had a little time to read this, uh, during lunch. Um, it's the story of Barbara Gordon after she gets paralyzed um, and she enters Arkham uh, Center for Independence where uh, teens in Gotham get mental and physical rehabilitation. So she's like adjusting to life uh, in a wheelchair and it's it's what happens to her after that that big famous tragedy uh, for her in the, in the Batman series. And yeah, I'm just really excited to be digging into this and, and reading Mariki's uh, comics debut here. Um, 
Oh boy. So I feel like next episode is going to be a pretty comics in why a heavy episode for me. Um, what about you? What are you reading lately? I, I've uh, my stack. I have too many things in my stack. I'm going. <laughs> I'm going on and on. Oh no, it's it's fine. I could definitely go on as well. And I just actually got a copy of the Oracle Code in the mail as well. Ooh, so hooray. that'll be a fun one to dig into. Um, so I just actually finished this really, really amazing novel coming out this month. And I think by the time listeners um, will be hearing this, it will be out. It's mm-hmm. called The Degenerates by J. Albert Mann. Um, so if you don't know J. Albert Mann, she came out with a book last year that was about Margaret Sanger. Um, so she writes this really good, like, historical fiction that's, um, really anchored in, like, very real times and places. So The Degenerates is her new book, and it's about these four teenage girls in 1928 who live in a school and please imagine me saying this with like heavy quotation marks around the word school. Um, and it's this place for people with disabilities. Um, but this is 1928. And so what I think a lot of people kind of forget or just like not even get at all in their um, history in school is that the eugenics movement was huge in the early 20th century and especially in the U S and it gave rise to these institutions where people with um, physical and developmental disabilities were basically imprisoned for life. And the doctors and nurses and attendants there were not nice at all because there was just this immense stigma towards people with disabilities and there wasn't really a lot of understanding or kindness. But also because it was the 1920s and there's a lot of like social uncertainty and moral stuff going on. Um, other people who didn't necessarily have disabilities were also sent to these institutions to contain them because they were, they thought that they were morally, you know, wayward and that was like contagious somehow or hereditary. So people who were a part of the LGBT community were sent to these places, teenage mothers, unmarried women um, who had babies or were found out to be sexually active were sent there. So this book is about four girls. So three of them have been living at this institution for a few years. And then one girl has just recently been sent there and they form a really intense bond of friendship and they decide that they cannot stay here their entire lives. They cannot live their entire lives being imprisoned and demeaned and they decide that they need to escape. So it's just this really beautiful story about the power of friendship, um, like finding your own family in a world that doesn't really accept you who you are. Um, you know, even, you know, your own family blood um, has abandoned people, but these girls have found each other. Um, I guess one, like, little content warning that I want to share with listeners is that um, the language that man uses in this book is historically accurate and not always, you know, sensitive because in the past, some really horrible things were said and some really bad words that we don't use to, um, to talk about um, people with disabilities anymore. But just know, I read the historical note and everything that the doctors and the nurses and attendants say that's mean and derogatory about the people living at this um, institution has been like lifted verbatim from actual historical records and documents that man has uncovered. So there's a lot of ableist and offensive language, but it is used in such a way that, you know, it's... Uh, it's used responsibly. <laughs> so 
just know that about going into this book, but it's a very amazing book and I highly recommend it. So and then the other book that I've been reading, um, I just actually started. Funny you should mention Anna Marie McClemmer because Ooh. I just picked up their newest book, Dark and Deepest Red. Yes. So, yeah, I have not read it yet. Um, and usually I'm like always immediately on top of their new releases. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just got it from the library and I think I'm like three chapters in. I really love the writing. I love the way that they infuse just like this really subtle, whimsical kind of magic into everyday life in those books. So this one is a Red Shoes retelling, and it is um, two dual timeline. Um, so um, in the present day, you have Rosella who finds a pair of red shoes, and she puts them on, and she can't take them off, and they cause her to dance endlessly. And in this um, time period um, is a boy she knows named Emil, and he is is very aware of this dancing fever because 500 years ago in um, Strasbourg, France, his family was blamed for um, like witchcraft, basically when um, the dancing fever swept through the town there. So um, I love, and then the past um, timeline is 500 years earlier. Um, McClummer actually just takes us right to that time period. And you find out about a girl named Lavinia who's living with her aunt and another orphan, and they are struggling to survive um, and escape persecution. So uh, that's basically the gist of what I've gotten out of it so far. I'm really excited to keep reading because I just am really loving it. That is awesome. And I love that Anne-Marie and Alana were on a book tour together called, like, I think it was called, like, the Red Tour or something, because... Uh, Alana K. Arnold was touring for Red Hood that just came out. Oh, yes. That's very clever. Wish I could have seen them together. I know. (laughs) What a great book tour. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yes. That's awesome. Oh, and then since we're talking about graphic novels, um, have you read Mooncakes by Suzanne Walker and Wendy Zhu? Oh, I am super ashamed that I haven't read it yet. I've read Wendy Zhu's... the Dream Daddy graphic novel <laughs> Wendy did for the tie to that video game. But I haven't read Mooncakes yet. I need to do that. Yeah, I just picked it up um, from the library yesterday. Like, it took a bajillion years for my hold to come in because it's been out for a few months. And now it's finally here. And I started it last night. And it's really, really great. So it's about this teenage witch named Nova who reconnects with her childhood crush, Tam, who is a werewolf. And Nova begins falling for them as they team up to investigate some dark magic in their town. Um, The art's really lovely. And I did not know that Wendy Zhu did a Dream Daddy graphic novel. I feel like I have to check that out now because my part, I've watched my part partner play the video game but i've never i i've never played it myself but now i'm gonna have to check it out i loved that video game (laughs) (laughs) it's like one of those games where it's like you know i'm having a hard day today let me help this dad find love and it's just the best most wholesome game it looks so sweet i I do a lot of video game watching from the couch with Mm -hmm. my book while my partner games um so it's like i I don't play them myself but i I feel like out of of osmosis i i see a lot and it's (laughs) it looks so sweet so um that's exciting to hear that wendy's you did that i love that i'm making notes right now in our show google doc that says dream daddy right now so (laughs) i want to make sure i link to that yes All right, so let me hit the first sponsor before we dig into what we're going to chat about. Uh, And that's Sparrow by Mary Cecilia Jackson. 
Into the tradition of Laurie Hulse Anderson speak, Mary Cecilia Jackson's devastating yet hopeful YA debut is about a ballerina who finds the courage to confront the abuse that haunts her past and threatens her future. Sparrow is a gifted ballerina, but her real talent is keeping secrets. Schooled in silence by her long-dead mother, Sparrow has always believed herself to be not the kind of girl who tells. But in the aftermath of a brutal assault by her seemingly perfect boyfriend Tristan, Sparrow must finally find the courage to confront the ghosts of her past or lose herself forever. All right, now let's chat about what we're going to discuss. Uh, so this week I announced a new book in my writer life, which was uh, very fun. You know, it's always fun to, to shout about those things on Twitter. Um, it's my next book after Don't Read the Comments. It's called You Can Go Your Own Way. Uh, and that's kind of what's inspired me to talk about this because it's a Fleetwood Mac reference. Uh, I feel like I talk a lot on Twitter about how I don't know. I always kind of find it annoying when authors, like, purposely reference music they like, assuming kids will enjoy it. You know, like that random teen who's, like, still listening to Elliot Smith. Uh, and, like, I joke about it because mostly, yes, okay, I know that kids listen to everything. Um, when I was a teenager, I was all over the place. So it's real. Um, it's just me being dumb and snarky. Like, I know you're going to talk about Dumplin' in a bit, and I think that's, like, the best example uh, of that. And, uh, yeah, I thought it might be fun to talk about books where the teens have music tastes and are into pop culture that might not seem like what modern teens are into, but they absolutely are. Uh, but hey, I'm not a teen anymore, so what, how am I supposed to know? Uh, let's, let's talk about some of these. Um, and it's funny, in retrospect, thinking about this particular category, uh, most of the books I ended up finding were about teens set in the, like, I guess, appropriate time era for the music that they like. Um, but I think it's still a fun thing to talk about. Um, one of the uh, ones that sprang to mind almost immediately for me was uh, I Want to Be Your Joey Ramone by by Stephanie uh, Cuthnert. Um, this is like an older one. It came out in 2008, um, which means a kid born in 2008 will be old enough to read this book next year. Um, I feel like I just made everyone feel very sad and very old right now, but I'm sorry. That's wild. Because I remember when that book came out. I know. Oh, my God. Also, it's weird. It's been like a while since we've had a book from Stephanie uh, Kuffner. Like, she had a piece uh, in that Our Stories, Our Voices anthology that came out in 2018, curated by Hey Why Favorite Amy Reed. Um and yeah, I'm really excited. I really want to see something new from her. Uh, please, publishing, uh, give us another another book from her. Um, anyhow, in this book, we meet uh, a teen named Emily Black, who is fronting a punk band, uh, determined to write an epic song that will bring her mother home. Her mom uh, is a punk rocker who hit the road uh, and, and sort of disappeared from the family. And the book is just packed full of references to punk bands like The Clash, uh, Social Distortion, and obviously uh, The Ramones. Um, yeah, this book came out, oh my god, 12 years ago. Wow. Yep. Okay. So a <laughs> 13-year-old uh, in our, the teachers who are listening school uh, will, will certainly be old enough to pick this one up. Uh, and that is uh, I Want to Be Your Joey Ramone. What's on your list? So I love this topic. Um, thank you for suggesting it. And I also love your new book title. Um, <laughs> I got really excited and not, you know, just because like I'm totally drafting a YA novel right now, wherein my protagonist's parents' love of Fleetwood Mac is very, <gasps> very much pivotal to this book. Yes. Oh, um, excellent. Because Fleetwood Mac is amazing. And like they they're definitely before my time, but I love them. And, like, their history is so fascinating, too, because, like... It is. The members had such, like, a 
tumultuous relationship with another. Like, oh, man. I need a Fleetwood Mac book. That's what I need. (laughs) That'd be amazing. And I also feel like, um, you know, another generation got the Fleetwood Mac love because Glee hit Fleetwood Mac really hard. Oh, yeah. yeah. There were tons of Fleetwood Mac songs covered in Glee. I mean, at least that I can remember. I only watched the first three seasons, but um, (laughs) it's, it's always interesting to me how things keep coming back. And that was... Um, Something I definitely thought about, um, you know, you mentioned Dumplin'. Like, that was the first book that I thought of when you pitched this topic at me. Because Dumplin' is all about how she loves Dolly Parton. Although, I do think Dolly is pretty timeless. So, uh, (laughs) maybe she's not exactly, like, the most perfect model for this topic. But I think she is amazing. And I love how much... um, the main character of Dumplin' loves Dolly. And the fact that it has existed as a movie from Netflix with actual Dolly music, that's very exciting. Um, But the other book that immediately came to mind for this topic, and it's not exactly music, but still along the lines of pop culture um, that teens are sort of rediscovering and loving, is Moxie by Jennifer Matthew. And so it's a book about a teenage girl named Vivian who lives in Texas, and she is absolutely fed up with the sexism in her school. And so she kind of gets inspired by her mom, who was really into, like, punk rock, Riot Girl in the early 90s, and all of the wonderful culture that came with that. And so Vivian starts a zine that she circulates um, with her school and, like, ignites this feminist revolution. Um, So what I really liked about that is that um, you see this pop culture, but also you know, these broader ideas of feminism as something that kind of evolves over time and is used in new settings and is also passed down from mother to daughter. So um, plus, I feel like a lot of the teens that I know and have worked with in recent years are super into all things 90s. So not surprising to me that Moxie is as popular as it is or that it's being made into a movie, which um, is directed by Amy Poehler. So that's really cool. And I think it's done filming now, but I'm not sure if we have a release date yet because I Googled yesterday and I couldn't find one. But it's a Netflix movie, so I'm sure that it will like be dropping much faster than we anticipate. Because <laughs> God bless Netflix. Yeah. That would be amazing. I, I would be fine with that. I would cancel all my plans. <laughs> I feel like when the Moxie movie drops on Netflix, it's going to be another episode where me and Kelly just like scream about the movie like we did when uh, To All the Boys I Loved Before 2 came out. Because, um, yeah. We, we're, we're big fans of that book. Um, let me see. What's next on, on my little list here? Um, so one that sort of takes place in its time is uh, Ziggy Stardust and Me by James Brandon. Um, have you seen the cover for this book? Yes, it's gorgeous. Oh, my God. Like, I hope this author, like, James, wherever you are, I hope you have this, like, printed out as, like, a giant poster in your house. Because, like, it is just a breathtaking uh, cover. So, uh, this book takes place in the 70s. Um, 
Let me read a little blip of it from uh, from the jacket copy here. Uh, the Watergate hearings are in full swing. The Vietnam War is still raging. And homosexuality is still officially considered a mental illness. In the midst of these tying tribes, a 16-year-old Jonathan Collins, a bullied, anxious, asthmatic kid, who aside from an alcoholic father and his sympathetic neighbor and friend Starla, is completely alone. To cope, Jonathan escapes to the safe haven of his imagination, where his hero, David Bowie, Ziggy Stardust, and dead relatives, including his mother, guide him through the rough terrain of his life. In his alternate reality, he can be anything, a superhero, an astronaut, Ziggy himself, or completely quote-unquote normal, and not a boy who likes other boys. When he completes his treatments, he will become normal, at least he hopes, but before that can happen, Webb stumbles into his life. Webb is everything Jonathan wishes he could be, fearless, fearsome, and most importantly, not ashamed of being gay. And, oh my god, this book has been on my shelf for far too long, and I really need to dig into it. Um, but yeah, another novel packed full of music, absolutely. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, I, I haven't read that one yet, but I need to. So, um, okay, who out here loves Calvin and Hobbes? Everyone. Because, yes, everyone. And uh, this book is, I feel like, a very much underappreciated, under-the-radar title. And it is Calvin by Martine Levitt. And it is basically all about the love of Calvin and Hobbes. I can't believe I haven't heard of this one. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, you know, Martine's Canadian. So mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes, you know, a book might be like a bigger deal in Canada than it is in the U.S. just because uh. we have so many YA books always coming out. Um, but I, I know she's won the Governor's Award and I can't remember if it's for this book or not, which is a big deal award in Canada. Yeah. So, but this book is about Calvin, who's a teenage boy from Canada and he was totally named after Bill Watterson's comic strip character, Calvin. He was born on the same day that the last comic strip was published, um, which is 1995, in case anybody's wondering. Um, and so his entire childhood, he has been obsessed with Calvin and Hobbes. And when he was a kid, he had this best friend named Susie. And that just seems like this crazy, wonderful coincidence. And he totally had this Hobbes, um, like stuffed animal, but he also like imagined that he had a real Hobbes and they did all of these wonderful adventures. So, you know, as he got older, he did kind of let go of this daydream and um, life got in the way. But now the book starts when he's 17 and he has just been diagnosed with schizophrenia and Hobbes is back. And Calvin knows that the Hobbes that he is seeing and the Hobbes that is encouraging some risky behavior is not real. But at the same time, it's very difficult for him to to ignore Hobbes. Um, and but he also knows that like this is this is not a good situation. He he's got to figure out some way to deal with the schizophrenia, and he doesn't quite know what to do about it. But he comes to believe that Bill Watterson can help. And if he can just actually get to Bill Watterson and speak with him um, and convince him to draw like one more comic strip, then maybe things will go back to normal for Calvin. Um, so and if you don't really know anything about Bill Watterson, he's sort of notoriously um, not in the public eye. So this is a big challenge for Calvin and he's in Canada, remember? So he decides that the best thing for him to do is reconnect with his old friend, Susie and along with Susie and Hobbs walk across the frozen Lake Erie in the dead of oh winter to get to Ohio and talk to Bill Watterson. And so that's what they do. 
He runs away and he decides to walk across Lake Erie and Susie and Hobbs are with him. And you know that Hobbs isn't real, but you don't know throughout the entire book if Susie is real or not. Ooh. And that is a lot of really great tension. Um, and, you know, the one thing you do know is that this is a seriously dangerous undertaking for Calvin. Yes. But oh he's God. determined to do it. Yeah. So this is just a really sensitive and thoughtful look at mental illness i i mean i don't i don't have schizophrenia but i have read a lot of really great reviews um of people who do and they they think it's a really good book um obviously you know your mileage may vary but it's gotten a lot of really great critical reviews i love this book so much um and you know you don't have to be familiar with calvin and hobbes at all to love this book but obviously it does help so that's a really great example of a teen who loves something that's pop culture-y um that's not exactly from his time since it does end just as he's being born um but it's an excellent book and again that's calvin by martine levitt that like hurt my heart when you told when you when you said that like he figures Bill Watterson can help. If he convince him to write one more strip, I'm like, oh no. I know. Oh, this, this poor cinnamon roll. Like, what do we. Oh, God. Now I'm like worried I'm going to cry too much reading that book. I got to. <laughs> oh, it's, it's so good. You might cry, but it'll be like good tears. Okay. <laughs> uh, let me see. What do I want to bring up? Oh, my goodness. So, this one uh, So Punk Rock and Other Ways to Disappoint Your Mother by Michael Ostow. So this is another older one from Y. This one came out in 2010 uh, and will always stick out to me because there are ska references in it. Um, and like ska kind of died in like the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, so here's, even though it will never die in my heart and one day I will write my ska YA novel and I know my agent is listening right now and is probably dropping me as, as we speak. <laughs> but, but one day I'm going to write a YA novel about a kid in a ska band in the 2020s, and no one can stop me. Um, anyway, here's a blip about it. Um, despite his dreams of hipster rock glory, Ari Eberson's band, The Tribe, uh, is more white bread than indie cred. Made up of four suburban teens from a wealthy Jewish school, their motley crew is about as hardcore as SAT prep and scripture studies. But after a one-song... This makes me laugh so much. After a one-song gig at a friend's bar mitzvah, a ska cover of Hava Naglila, the tribe's popularity erupts overnight. Now Ari is forced to navigate a minefield of inflated egos, misplaced romance, and the shallowness of indie rock elitism. It's a hard lesson in the complex art of playing it cool. Uh, so Austin is one of those kid-lit authors with such a... Like, a massive catalog. Have you ever just gone to her Goodreads page? It's... It's intense. It's, it's intense. I don't... I don't know how someone writes so much. Like it is, it, it's astonishing. Um, but yeah, treat treat yourself to this earlier work of hers, and then dig into any of the other books we've rambled about on here. Um, like Family, I know Family is a big favorite uh, of Kelly's. Um, so th- this is the the one book I could think of that has a good ska reference in it. But if any listeners can think of any other YA that has lots of ska in it, please send it my way because I am doing research (laughs) prep for my own selfish reasons. Well, that's funny. Um, so my next pick is Pulp by Robin Talley. And Ooh, we're like reaching back a little bit with this, but I think it's a really good one because I don't know any other YA book with a teen who becomes like really, really, really into lesbian pulp fiction of the 50s and 60s. Um, so if you're unfamiliar with lesbian pulp fiction, they are basically 
like very cheap paperback books that were sensationalized novels that um, I think they usually portrayed women like lesbians as being these really daring women living on the edge of society, you know, giving into same sex urges and like, let's be real, usually getting punished for it at the end. I think like a big trope was, you know, giving in and then some sort of horrible thing would happen and they'd usually end up alone or with a man. Um, but it was like a really big thing in the fifties and sixties and probably one of the most um, popular touch novels now, or at least the one that we as a contemporary audience refer back to and remember is the price of salt, um, which was written by Patricia Highsmith. Although at the time she definitely published it under a pseudonym. And it was notable because it's a novel where the lesbians actually sort of get a happy ending. Um, but anyway, so this book is about um, a teen named Abby. She is living in modern day and she's doing her senior project on lesbian pulp fiction because she's really into it, really fascinated by it. And she becomes sort of obsessed with this particular um, pulp writer um, named Marion Love. And so Abby decides as part of her project, she's going to track down Marion Love and basically figure out who she really is and, and like what happened to her. So then the other half of the book is set in 1955 when another young woman named Janet, um, who is in love with her best friend and has to keep that a very, very closely um, kept secret, um, she discovers Pulp Fiction, and she decides that she wants to start writing it. So I think that this is just a really cool book about, um, you know, a piece of pop culture that is kind of older, maybe a little bit more forgotten in 2020, um, but how it really has, like, connected people across generations. So that is Pulp by Robin Talley. Oh, goodness. We are, we are big Robin Talley fans on this podcast, that is for sure. My next and last one is uh, Three Day Summer by Sarvanash Tash. Um, this is, a, <laughs> I love this one because it's, it's one of the few YAs I can think of that takes place uh, during Woodstock. Um, let me read a quick blip about it here. Uh, Michael was unsure about most things. He could go to college, enlist in the military, break up with his girlfriend. All big question marks. He is living for the moment and all he wants is a few days at the biggest concert of the summer. Cora lives in the town hosting the music festival. She's volunteering in the medical tent. She's like that, always the good girl. But there's something in the air at this concert, and she suddenly finds herself wanting to push her boundaries. And surprise, surprise, the two of them meet, sparks are flying, and an epic summer awaits that takes place uh, over the course of three days uh, at Woodstock. Um, so yeah, this is one that actually takes place uh, in its particular time, as opposed to uh, shifting back and forth in terms of uh, the pop culture. And a quick side note here, uh, before... Uh, you dig into your, your last pick. Uh, if you're looking for more like music-centered YA, I feel like there's there's so, so much of it. Um, so I'm going to link to a, a Book Riot roundup in the show notes. Uh, and I highly recommend treating yourself to uh, The Disenchantments by Nina LaCour, which is one of my favorite YAs of all time. Uh, or enjoying a night in watching Nick and Noor's Infinite Playlist, uh, maybe right after streaming uh, Dublin. Yes, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist is a classic. Right? Oh, my God. The movie made me so, so happy because I feel like Michael Sarah was so perfectly cast. Yeah, so fun fact. Um, once upon a time when I was 17, I decided that I really, really, really wanted to move to New York City and work into publishing. And I was actually, like, I went to New York City with my parents and I was scoping out, like, okay, I'm going to make this move. I didn't actually end up making the move, but I was in... 
um, Greenwich Village, like, around the time that they were shooting that movie. And somebody, no I just remember being like, I saw Michael Sarah five blocks down. And, and I was like, whoa, New York. Like, I'm from a small town in Michigan. This was my first time in New York City. So I was just like utterly blown away and I remember being really excited about that movie um, and so I was five blocks away from Michael Sarah a long time ago probably that 11 years ago awesome. <laughs> but anywho so yes my final pick um, is like total nerd bait for anybody who I think grew up in the 90s and it is The Babysitter's Coven by Kate Williams just came out um, this past fall and so I think it's fairly obvious from the title what piece of pop culture this book alludes to um, but I would also say that it's a beautiful mashup between Buffy the Vampire Slayer and The Babysitter's Club and yeah it's so good <laughs> so it's about Esme who has grown up without her mom she lives with her dad um, however her mom um, lives not very far away in a res- residential facility um, for people with uh, mental illness and disabilities and um, they don't really know what is up with her mom. They just know that she's not able to live at home and take care of herself. So she lives there and Esme and her dad um, have been on their own, just the two of them for a while. Um, But like this one key piece of information that Esme knows for sure about her mom is that she was pretty popular as a teenager and she also worked as a babysitter and she just loved kids. She loved taking care of them. She was like the most popular babysitter in their community. So wanting to be close to her mom in middle school, Esme starts her own babysitting club and it's kind of, you know, she admits it's a blatant ripoff off of A.M.M. Martin's series. Um, But she's just like, what else am I going to do? Get a job? Ew. So now she's in high school and basically the only people left who are still doing this, this babysitter's club are her and her best friend. But, you know, they're still pretty successful at it. Um, But things get utterly tossed on their heads when this new girl shows up in town and she begs to be let into the babysitter's club. And she seems like really intent on wanting to be Esme's best friend. Mm. And Esme's kind of like, okay, I mean, sure. And this new girl's a terrible babysitter, but she just really wants to do this. And at the same time, some really weird stuff is happening to Esme personally, like things that she can't quite explain. And so basically you find out that the babysitters are actually a front for this like kick butt demon fighting female force and Esme's club is basically like the last stand between good and evil like the babysitters are it and so they are you know protecting kids from being kidnapped by evil demons and just a lot of like really bonkers stuff (laughs) This sounds so awesome. (laughs) It's so good. It has a lot of really hilarious moments. Um, And like, I think it's especially great if you've seen Buffy because the parallels are very obvious and like they even have their own watcher who's kind of like this, this very smart person who's like super into what he does, but like he doesn't understand teenage girls at all. And (laughs) so he's like explaining this to him. This isn't a spoiler, but he's explaining like basically the situation of like, 
good, evil portals to the evil world. And they're like, so like Buffy, right? And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And like, this is exactly like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And he's just like completely clueless. So um, it's so good. The first book, um, which is The Babysitter's Coven, um, it came out this past fall. There's going to be a sequel out this year. And oh my god, the cover was revealed. And I totally forgot to look up the title, but I'm sure we can include it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but the covers are fantastic and they're very like 90s throwback so i so enjoyed this this book and i cannot wait for the sequel that's the babysitter's coven by kate williams that sounds so amazing oh my god (laughs) it's so good do you want to hit our next and last sponsor Absolutely. So this episode is in part sponsored by Wicked As You Wish by Rin Shupeko. Many years ago, the magical kingdom of Avalon was left desolate and encased in ice when the evil Snow Queen waged war on the powerful country. Its former citizens are now refugees in a world mostly devoid of magic, which is why the crown prince and his protectors are stuck in Arizona. Prince Alexi, the sole survivor of the Avalon royal family, is in hiding in a town so boring, magic doesn't even work there. Few know his secret identity, but his best friend Tala is one of them. Tala doesn't mind. She has secrets of her own. Namely, that she's a spellbreaker, someone who negates magic. Then, hope for their abandoned homeland reignites when a famous creature of legend and Avalon's most powerful weapon, the Firebird, appears for the first time in decades. Alex and Tawa unite with a ragtag group of new friends to journey back to Avalon for a showdown that will change the world as they know it. Okay, Uh, so it's a quick show due to lots of running around and life and toddlers' doctor's appointments, but I have a fun last thing to to dig into here. Um, So we were talking about... uh, you know, why that has, you know, music and TV pop culture and things of that nature. Um, and when we were talking about the music, uh, I kept thinking about, like, my favorite YA fictional musicians and bands uh, and what they might actually sound like. They were assembled into, like, real-life groups, what they would sound like, who they who they would be. Um, and it's so funny because uh, – so, so I, I – I tend to talk about Lauren Gibaldi a lot on here. I love her YA novels. Uh, and one fun fact for anyone who's read them, you might notice there's a group called uh, the Pepper Pots uh, that pop up now and again. So in The Night We Said Yes, in Autofocus, and in This Tiny Perfect World, there's an Easter egg that connects them all to the same universe. Um, <laughs> I guess that universe is is Florida. Like I don't think it's like a complicated cinematic universe there. Um, and that's the Pepper Pots. It's a fictional band in Gibaldi's novels that pop up on flyers uh, in that actual show and it connects all her books together. I don't know. I kind of imagine they might sound a bit like like a, like a Newfound Glory or like an Atari's-style pop-punk band. Um, her books are pretty wholesome, so I imagine we'd have some like really fun, like power-chord-driven sweet songs about relationships and all that. Um, i trying to think of like wholesome pop-punk bands, like... Like Hawk Nelson or uh, maybe some of Simple Plans stuff. I don't know. Um, who who are some of yours in your in your made up <laughs> YA music world? Well, I immediately thought of Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Oh, of course. But here's the thing, and maybe you can help me remember because I feel like I have seen that the the movie adaptation way more times than I've read the book and I read the book ages ago and so I just remember from the movie you know the whole book is or the whole movie is about them trying to get to the secret show of their favorite band called Where's Fluffy and 
I don't actually remember if that thread is in the book, but I do remember that they talk a lot about bands in the book because Nora's father is this music producer and he's helped a lot of um, groups, you know, become top 40 hits. And, um, and of course, Nick is in a, a fictional band. And um, I think, I, I mean, I can't remember exactly now what their, their band name is, but I think it's something with cuss words that we're probably not allowed to say on iTunes. <laughs> but so that was the first thing that came to my mind. Um, but then the other one that immediately shot to my mind was um, Robin Benway's debut novel, Audrey. Wilkes, oh, yeah. Which, yeah, have you read this one? Yeah, it's like, it. it's funny. It's like the, the, the plain white tea song before the plain white tea song, I think, right? Right, right. <laughs> so um, Robin Benway's debut novel came out back in 2008 so like once again we're throwing it back to books that are almost old enough to be teenagers themselves um but it's this book about audrey and she's dating a guy named evan and evan isn't like he's not terrible but he's just not the best boyfriend for audrey and she decides that she doesn't really want to be with him anymore and he is a musician and he has this band called the do-gooders and he's like super committed to his music. He wants to make it big. And Audrey's just like, kind of like, you know what? Nothing against you. I just don't really want to be in a relationship with you anymore. Wish you the best of luck, you know, go forth, have a great life. And Evan is devastated. And so he writes the song about the breakup called Audrey wait. And then he performs it. And because he and his band perform the song, they get discovered by a record label and it goes on to become like the number one hit in the country. <laughs> and it's the song about her. And all of a sudden she is like, I was just trying to break up with this dude. And now I like people want me on Good Morning America. Everybody is like, who's Audrey? People are like being really <laughs> mean to her because they're like, you broke Evan of the do-gooder's heart. And she's just like, what the heck, man? Um, so it's really delightful. And it's also super heavy on music and pop culture. So, um, again, I mentioned that it came out in 2008. So it's not that this, yeah, it's not that this book doesn't age well, but like it's very firmly entrenched in that time period. Um, because it's about music in a band in like 2006, 2008 ish. So MySpace is definitely a thing that gets talked about and like the (laughs) teens are using it and like they can text, but nobody has internet on their phones. And I remember reading it like right when it first came out and I was an actual teen then and I love this book. And I actually reread it a few years ago, right before she won the National Book Award with Far From the Tree. Um, and it felt like such a fun throwback to my high school years. Also interesting, um, each chapter starts with lyrics from a different song, which like I gotta say, that must have been quite the feat to pull off given how expensive and time consuming it is to get permissions for lyrics and books like every single chapter starts with a different like band and song lyric (laughs) and i was like whoa but she did it so um, (laughs) that's that's pretty impressive um now as far as like what the song would sound like and the like the do-getters like mm-hmm. you mentioned plain white tree plain white tees i think that's probably a good thing and i like i admit i read this book a few years ago it's been a while since i've revisited it so i might be forgetting details and i am totally certain that 
Robin Benway describes, like, what they sound like and what their vibe is in the book. I just Mm -hmm. don't really remember, and I didn't have time to track down a copy. But I definitely remember, like, reading this book in 2008 and, like, thinking of the band Train. And I don't – like, like it's slightly Uh, more uh, upbeat uh, uh, and, like, maybe mainstream more version of Train. I don't know about you. Train was, like, super popular in my small Midwestern town in the early to mid-2000s. So um, that's probably where that influence (laughs) – yeah. I mean, I'm a dad now, so I listen to Train a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I like Train. I don't like all their songs, but I do like them. So I think that's what I was probably thinking of, like a band like Train. If only they have a more pop version of a song about a breakup. Um, but I don't know. I have weird taste in music, so I'm probably not an expert. But that is what I definitely thought of when I read this book. No, Train's good. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure, like, the second I became a father... Uh, Spotify was just like, you know what? Okay, we need Train. We need Lifehouse. We gotta get some Matchbox Twenty on here. Oh my uh, god, Counting Crows. <laughs> yeah, just all the dad music was just filtered on. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, and speaking of um, Audrey Waite, like I should recommend uh, "Who's That Girl" by Blair Thornburg, which uh, takes on a similar story where a teen girl has a uh, indie rock band uh, write a hit single about uh, about her. Um, yeah, scope that one out too. Uh, let me see. And then my last little blip here is uh, just the books by Aaron Hahn as a whole. Um, so I really loved You'd Be Mine, Aaron Hahn's like country music flavored debut that hit last year. Uh, and her upcoming one, more than maybe, is full of punk rock. Uh, I just got a copy of that in the mail recently. Uh, and yeah, I can't help but imagine like these teens in their pursuit of music, Anna and and Greenlee from the new book, um, they would make, like, quite the duo. Uh, I don't know if you were ever into, like, bands like The Format or, like, Limbeck, but I'm just, like, daydreaming of, like, a book where these two cross over together and we get, like, a country and punk rock band like those guys. I don't know. Aaron, Aaron's lovely YA contemporaries that are full of music have me daydreaming about, <laughs> about made-up bands now. That sounds really fun. I... I grew up, again, like I said, in rural Michigan, and I still live there, so I I feel like I'm surrounded by a lot of country, mm-hmm. and, and but I also like sometimes a little something a little bit more edgy, so yeah, I'm into that. I, I could get on board. <laughs> Is that it for our show? I think that might, I think that might be a wrap. Awesome. It's oh, been boy. so much fun hanging out with you. Thank you for yeah, having me. No problem. Um... And that's our show. So, uh, yeah, thanks to today's sponsors for making this show possible. Uh, you can follow me, Eric Smith, at Eric Smith Rocks on Twitter, uh, as well as Eric Smith Rocks on Instagram. Uh, and our guest, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as well. Um, I'm at Tirza Price, and that is T I R Z A H P R I C E. And that's just on Twitter? Yeah, on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. Oh, okay, and Instagram. Excellent. Uh, and then we'll see you next week uh, for another podcast. Until then, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.